Tonight we continue our study of the epistle to the Philippians, written by the Apostle Paul to the church that meant so much to him and had done so much for him and was continuing to do so much for him while he wrote even this epistle from Rome as a prisoner in Rome. We've already seen that Epaphroditus introduced to us in chapter 2 and mentioned again in chapter 4, which we'll come to eventually, the Lord willing. Epaphroditus had been sent to bring physical necessities to Paul and to render assistance to him from the church at Philippi because the church loved Paul dearly and he loved them dearly. They were his children in the gospel because as we know from Acts chapter 16, the church at Philippi was established on that journey in answer to the Macedonian call when Paul and others who were traveling with him went over to European soil, landed at Neapolis, the seaport you see on the screen, and, uh, and preached the gospel for the first time to Lydia and her household as they became Christians, the Philippian jailer and his household as they obeyed the gospel, and thus the church at Philippi was born. And it was a church that brought so much comfort and help encouragement to the Apostle Paul. And as we continue the study of this letter that he penned to them, his love letter as it has been often called to the church he loved so much at Philippi, we look at three verses tonight that I would simply summarize as being Paul's program for spiritual development. On Sunday mornings of late, we've been studying the importance of growth in the child of God and the fact that the New Testament Christian never stops growing. And these verses we study tonight remind us of that important theme of growth and the imperative nature of continuing to grow as Christians. We should grow in our relationship with God. We should grow in our relationship with one another. And certainly, in order to do that, there needs to be a plan, if you will, a program for that spiritual development that we are pursuing. And that's what I think we find here in verses 12 through 14 of chapter 3. Let's read them, and then we'll look at them individually. Paul here writes, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. These verses immediately follow the last verse in our study last time, verse 11, where he wrote, If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And as we mentioned then, Paul was not expressing doubt that he was going to be raised from the dead. He fully knew that all of us will be raised from the dead. But the context indicates that he wanted to attain to that resurrection to eternal life in heaven ultimately that he wanted to be raised as one of those who was faithful to the end and who was raised to eternal life 
with God and Christ and the Holy Spirit and all others who had been faithful to the end. And immediately on the heels of that statement that he hoped to attain to that resurrection that the righteous will attain ultimately and the goal that they will reach, he quickly adds here, beginning now in verse 12, not that I have already attained. I'm not already there. I have not already reached that goal. Obviously, I have not attained to the resurrection, but I have not finished the course that will enable me to achieve what I have just written about, that resurrection of righteousness, of the righteous to an eternal abode in heaven. Well, immediately, again, as we have often said as we come to certain passages, we have yet another among the hundreds of scriptures which clearly affirm that once we are saved, we're not always saved. And that once we have been sanctified, set apart as those who are among the elect of God having answered the call of the gospel, that there's something that remains for us to do. That there is a program of spiritual development, if you will, that we must follow in order to ultimately attain to that resurrection from the dead that Paul refers to in verse 11 that awaits those who are righteous and the glorious the glorious abode in heaven. Now, if it were the case that after becoming a Christian, Paul had eternal life and it could never be taken away from him, why did he follow the statement in verse 11 not about wanting to attain to the resurrection of the dead, meaning righteous living in heaven for eternity? Why would he immediately follow that statement with, not that I have already attained. Would it not make more sense and follow logically if the doctrine of the impossibility of apostasy were a biblical doctrine? Wouldn't it follow logically for him to say, and I have already attained that. I have already been perfected. I have already reached that goal because I have been saved, and once I'm saved, I'm always saved. No, he follows it with what we would expect him to say or write, based upon what the whole of the New Testament teaches us about salvation. That yes, we can obtain salvation from past sins through obedience to the gospel, but once we have done that, there is a program of spiritual development that we must follow to the end in order to ultimately have that resurrection to eternal salvation. And so he says, not that I have already attained, not that I've already won the prize, not that I'm already at the goal, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Now, when he says in the latter part of the verse that I may lay hold, he's talking about something that he has not yet laid hold of, isn't he? I don't have it yet. But I hope to one day lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. How did Christ lay hold of Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus? Remember the appearance to him on the Damascus Road? That's where Jesus Christ began the process of laying hold of, of Saul. 
He laid hold of him in order to make him an apostle. He had to appear to him, as we have often said, and he made that appearance to him so that he would then be qualified to be an apostle after Ananias had been sent to him and after he had heard the gospel and obeyed the gospel. He was laid hold of by Christ to become an apostle. But he had to first become a Christian by obedience to the gospel, as all of us have had to do if we're Christians here tonight. And so I've been laid hold upon, in effect, he's saying, to ultimately attain eternal life in heaven, but I've got to press on toward the goal in order to be able to do that. I haven't laid hold of it yet. I have not laid hold. There's a, another text from the same pen of the same writer in 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy, rather, chapter 6, verse 12 and also at verse 19, that are very, very similar to this expression. Writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 12, Paul wrote, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. Now here in the text in Philippians 3, 12, he says, I want to lay hold on that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. To Timothy, he writes, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. Paul hoped to lay hold on the very same thing that he admonished Timothy to ultimately lay hold of, eternal life, that is, eternal life in heaven. At verse 19 of 1 Timothy 6, very same expression, storing up for themselves a good foundation after he admonishes, let them do good, etc. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, listen to it again, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So in 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, and also at verse 19, he makes it abundantly clear that Timothy had not laid hold on eternal life yet, nor had others who needed to continue on that program of spiritual development in order to ultimately lay hold on eternal life. The key expression here that I want us to key on now as we look at one of the aspects of Paul's program for spiritual development is in the phrase, not that I have already attained. Because that tells us that if we want to follow Paul's inspired program for spiritual development, there has to be self-evaluation. Self-evaluation needs to be done on a very regular basis in the Christian life because we are climbing toward that goal and we have not yet attained it any more than the individual pictured in this picture has reached the top of, of that mountain. Moving toward it, yes, but realizing fully that the individual has not already attained. Therefore, it behooves us to constantly evaluate ourselves and to take spiritual inventory. And the Apostle Paul elsewhere makes that very clear that not only had he not attained not only was he one who was evaluating self remember he says in 1 Corinthians 9 27 I buffet my body bring it under subjection lest I after I have preached to others I myself might also be a castaway then what does he write in 2 Corinthians 13 in verse 5 he writes this, examine yourselves. That's self-evaluation. Examine yourselves 
as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Self-evaluation is an integral part of Paul's inspired program for spiritual development. We need to examine ourselves. Not to become lackadaisical, not to take anything for granted, but to constantly evaluate ourselves. Now in the next verse, verse 13 of our text tonight, he writes this, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now here we draw our second point in Paul's program for spiritual development. The first was self-evaluation, not that I have already attained. The second is this, singleness of purpose. This one thing I do. This one thing I do. That's a very important phrase which reminds us that the Apostle Paul was focused. In another of his epistles that we have uh, also recently studied, he makes it abundantly clear that that focus is to be a heavenly focus, as he does in this text as well. But remember Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 beginning, if, that is, since then you were raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth or on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If your life is hidden with Christ in God, then there should be a singleness of purpose. As we said this morning, that does not mean that we cannot enjoy earthly relationships. doesn't mean that we cannot enjoy earthly pleasures to a certain extent but we have got to remember that we have a singleness of purpose because as we studied from 1 Peter 1.17 this morning, that we're to pass the time of our stay here, as the New King James renders that, in fear. That is with reverential awe and respect for the God of heaven. Pass the time of your stay, your sojourn, you're a pilgrim, you're a stranger, you're not at home here, you're not at home here. Your singleness of purpose is to get home, is to get home. And you've heard stories about animals. You've heard stories about people who have been lost and whose single determination, their greatest desire being lost was to what? Get home, to go home. And you've heard of animals being several states away from, from their masters and ultimately finding their way home. And individuals who have been lost but have made it home. We're not at home. We're not at home yet here. And if we begin to think and act as though we are, then the singleness of purpose a very vital part of Paul's program for spiritual development has been lost and there's a 
distinct possibility that we'll be lost ourselves unless we regain that singleness of purpose. This graphic that I chose for this lesson tonight with these points is an interesting graphic. I obtained it from a website, a blog, that this uh, 55-year-old woman from Michigan writes about various things, I suppose. I was just looking for graphic images, and uh, it led me to this website from which I drew this uh, image because I thought it fit what we were studying. But it was interesting in reading this particular blog that had been posted on this website about this lady who was talking about her friend who was a mountain climber. And that at least one of the climbs that he had been on, a Mount Rainier, I believe, was a climb at night. I don't want to climb a mountain in broad daylight. But there's no way you're going to get me to climb one at night. Wouldn't you agree with that? And yet, when you think about that, when you think about that, she went on to say that that was her initial reaction, but upon questioning this friend further, he said, that's the better time to climb it. Why? Because you have the headlamp on and because everything around you is dark and you don't start to look around and realize where you are and, what, and probably start asking, why am I here? The headlamp allows you to focus on the steps you need to take that are directly in front of you so that you can better concentrate on reaching the goal. And I don't deny that. I'm still not going to climb a mountain. <laughs> but I couldn't help but think, oh, there's spiritual application there. And that's really what Paul is saying. And I couldn't help but think as I read that about an incident in Scripture where you remember it, when Jesus was walking on the water and came to the disciples who were in the boat and Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you. And he said, come. And Peter was doing quite well in coming to the Lord and walking on the water until what? Until his headlamp went out. <laughs> that is, until he quit looking at the Lord and began to realize, what have I done? Where am I? I'm out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and it's in a storm. And he began to sink. Losing that singleness of purpose. It's vitally important. This one thing I do. In other words, we've got to have that focus. Self-evaluation, verse 12. Singleness of purpose, verse 13. But then in our final verse... I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the goal. Incidentally, going back to verse 13, briefly, forgetting those things which are behind, that's important too, isn't it? What is one of, great, one of the greatest hindrances to Christian living do you think that people face? the inability to forgive themselves many times for the past and to forget it. 
and to truly understand and appreciate the fact that if they've obeyed the gospel, if they have been restored as wayward children of God, that's gone. That's gone. Those sins will be remembered no more. The God of heaven will not hold those sins against them at all. And sometimes it's more difficult for people to forgive themselves than it is for God to forgive them, it seems. And the failure to do that, the inability to do that, can actually ultimately result in spiritual ruin for those who've really been forgiven but couldn't forgive themselves. It's also important from verse 13 to realize that we need to forget those things which are behind. The failures, and yes, to some degree, the successes as well, because we are not to rest on our laurels. Paul didn't. Look what he had accomplished at the time he wrote this epistle. And yet he himself said, not that I have already attained. I'm still pressing on, despite what he had achieved as a faithful worker in the kingdom. And incidentally, that phrase, reaching forward in verse 13, that's the only place it's ever used anywhere in the New Testament, the word that is translated with the phrase reaching forward. And this whole 12 through 14 section here, by the way, is really an allusion to the Grecian races, the Olympic Games. And Paul is drawing uh, an illustration from uh, an athletic uh, situation here. And the idea of reaching forward is, is the idea of straining, straining with every fiber of your being to reach this goal we're about to talk more about in verse 14. Reaching forward and stretching every muscle, every muscle, in order to reach that goal. I press, I press toward the goal. That expression, I press, literally is along the line, along the line. I press along the line. Again, an athletic illusion, I think, here, because he's saying, I have to make sure that as I move toward the goal, I press toward the goal, I press along the line, indicating what? Within the rules. In other words, it's not just pressing toward the goal and getting there any way I choose to get there, I have to make sure that as I stretch toward the goal with every fiber of my being that I'm doing it as God tells me to do it. In other words, I have to follow the rules. We see that in athletics every day. Every day. In a football game, if a runner steps out of bounds, if he touches the line with his foot, the play is dead. The play is over. He has to make sure that he stays within the boundaries. Runners, when they are running, have to what? Have to stay in their lane. They get out of their lane, they are disqualified. A pitcher on a pitcher's mound cannot remove his foot from the rubber on the mound, but it has to be there until a certain point in the release of the ball. And so 
Paul draws an athletic allusion here and says, I press along the line, literally along the line toward the goal. Is it good to have goals? It is good to have goals. It's good to set goals. I believe it's good for congregations to set goals, to have short-term goals and mid-range goals and long-term goals. I think it's good for individuals to think in terms of, of goal-setting. And spiritual goal-setting is the most important kind of goal-setting, obviously, that one could have. That's what Paul says. I press toward the goal. So self-evaluation in verse 12 Singleness of purpose in verse 13 and seeing the goal here in verse 14. These are the three elements in what I would call Paul's program for spiritual development. Pressing toward the goal. For what, as we conclude? Pressing toward the goal for the prize. And again, that word prize comes from a word that was used in the athletic competition in the Olympic Games, indicating at times the one who was directing the games and gave the prizes, but it's also used in the sense of the prize itself that was given by that individual. Now, there's a vast difference, thankfully, between the prize in an Olympic competition or in any athletic competition for that matter because... In all of those competitions, what happens? Somebody wins and somebody loses. But in this situation, everybody wins. Everyone, everyone who is willing to follow Paul's program of spiritual development gets the prize. It doesn't go to just one individual. It doesn't go to just one team. It goes to every one. And in the first Corinthian letter, Paul used that same athletic illusion and made that abundantly clear. Everyone who runs, in that, on that occasion, he said, everyone who runs to the end gains the prize. And oh, what a prize it is. Heaven itself. The prize of the upward call of God. What is that upward call of God? The gospel. The answer to the gospel. The call of the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2, 14, that comes to us when we answer that upward call and we are then in Christ Jesus. If we will follow Paul's program for spiritual development, self-evaluation, singleness of purpose, and seeing the goal and never losing sight of that, finishing that course and reaching that goal, then the prize is ours. Have you even begun the race? Not if you're not a Christian. If you haven't expressed your belief in Jesus, repented of your sins, confessed Him to be the Christ, and been buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins, you haven't entered the race. You haven't entered the race. But if you'll do that tonight, you can begin that race in which all who finish faithfully win.
There may be someone here tonight who's begun but has not continued to be faithful, has not continued to self-evaluate, has not continued with singleness of purpose and has lost sight of the goal. But thanks be to God, you have the opportunity to get back into the race, the Christian race, and to once again press toward that goal by repenting of sin that needs to be repented of publicly as we pray with you and for you. And for all who need no repentance, may we never lose sight of the importance of following Paul's program for spiritual development. Keep on evaluating self, examining yourselves, whether or not you're in the faith. Maintain that singleness of purpose and never lose sight of the goal. Because in reaching that goal, a prize awaits that eclipses anything and everything this world has to offer. Tonight, if you need to respond, will you come now as we stand to sing to encourage you?